everybody, and welcome back to You Can't Win. This is Tom here, and I'm joined by Don, as usual. We have our favorite troop hater back once again. It's Goatstein. He's got a few things that have been bothering him of late, and we will be discussing those. But I guess the first thing that we wanted to talk about was uh, our favorite president getting old Rona. Trump has the coronavirus, apparently. He, uh, As of this recording, we're recording this on Friday night, he has been sent to the hospital still alive allegedly so uh yeah what do you guys think about this friday the second just for historical records oh yeah thank you keep it evergreen yes uh well for me i'll just start um i hope he dies i think that uh furthermore i think that there's not really any coherent moral standard that you can make that you don't wish that he dies other than religious pacifism you don't want anyone to die for any reason that's fine but even if like Trump died of cancer or getting hit by a car or something, you could say, oh, you know, that's not really his fault. But this is his fault. It's like you die in the middle <laughs> of committing a bank robbery. So, yes, I, I, hope, that, I hope that he dies. That's my, uh, that's my standard opener up here. Sure. How, yeah. how about you, Don? Yeah, no, I, I'm going to go with the other side is that, like, uh, you know, the reason why you don't, we don't like him is because of uh, his lack of compassion. So... I overflow with compassion, so I'm going to have to say that I, I want him to get better and then, you know, have like that moral change where he, uh, <laughs> I don't know, decides that Medicare for all is great or something. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that that would be nice. Um, I, I, I'm right in the middle. I'm kind of Goldilocks on this. I don't actually care either way. I haven't really thought it through. Um, if I had a preference, it would be about like what would be better for me and for the country kind of a thing. And him dying, I mean, that means Pence takes over, means we don't get another four years of Trump. I, I don't know. I don't know if that necessarily means thing, things will improve because he's dead. So, Well, here's the thing. Did uh, Donald Trump is responsible for way more American deaths. And Tom, you're an American. Is that correct? I know yeah. Don isn't. Okay. Donald Trump is responsible for way more American deaths than Osama bin Laden. So if you were happy when Osama bin Laden died, therefore, by logic, you have to be happy when Donald Trump dies. And maybe it didn't make the world better when Osama bin Laden died, you could argue that, but nobody who is, no lib who is arguing that point thought the same thing about Osama bin Laden. He's a person, and oh man, I wish he had just changed. Like, it's it's 79-11s by now, and one thing, I, I want to talk about this more, it's not entirely Trump's fault, obviously, but even if it's 5% his fault, that's more than 9-11, plus all the U.S. soldiers who died in Iraq combined, is my opinion. Okay, well, when you when you lay it out like that, I realize my only actual interest here is just the continuation of quarantine, so I hope he lives so that we can have the thousand-year quarantine that I love so much. <laughs> Yeah, I saw a thing um, about about the quarantine. Here, I live here in Boston, Massachusetts. Yankee Suckle Pats, where the there was a <laughs> there was a list of all the uh, all the places that have uh, over five percent positivity rates for COVID, and it's all just the places in Boston where the black people, the the Vietnamese, and the Puerto Ricans live. Like every single neighborhood. I used to work in a job where I traveled around Boston, you know, meeting people. This was right out of right out of college. I was like a cable, I was a cable setup guy, mm-hmm. and yeah, 
I can tell you, I can tell you firsthand. Every place, every place in Boston that has significant coronavirus is uh, just where the minorities live, and everywhere else in Boston is pretty much fine, including me. So great, but that it's it's not just the people who are dying; it's who's dying and why, and that is more Trump's fault than just in general. I would say. Sure. I I do kind of I mean Trump has not done a good job with this whole situation but I do think that people act as if like Biden would have been so much better or whatever I don't know I mean it's no. w- some people will point to the fact that like the Democrats were saying it was like racist to uh to like make a big deal out of this stuff you know it used to be like a big thing about calling people racist if they were like calling for like shutting down travel to china and no all absolutely that stuff, I, you know? I totally i totally agree with you on that and i would say that the the big thing the big thing about corona is that it indicts our entire society it's not yeah, just exactly. trump obviously yeah. he's obviously he's the biggest problem but uh, it indicts like if it was Biden or if it was Hillary, especially with Hillary, you think more people are going to wear masks if Hillary came out there and like, uh, I may not be Paul Lawrence Dunbar, but we wear the mask. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm smoking. But yeah. <laughs> no, there it, it's it's every it's every part of our society, and even like reading comments about this is this is shit that would not happen in like Japan or South Korea. Not even necessarily China, because that's obviously an autocracy. But in, in Japan and South Korea, if you said half the shit that like the the uh, plague deniers on Twitter were saying, you would be bullied into suicide within twenty four hours. And yeah, uh, uh, it all. I'll take I'll, again. I'll take the uh, proposition. I think that's good. I think that would lead to fewer deaths. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's uh, there are some advantages to having like a hive mind kind of situation, I guess, but. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not even so much that they have a hive mind it's that they have this like very strict uh, idea about social propriety and if you violate that good or bad then yeah you are persona non grata but in yeah. some cases yeah that in some cases that is better than the shit that we have where you know it's kind of like the uh, you guys know the uh, movie critic Armin White yeah I yeah. don't but He's a guy who who found who figured out very very uh, cleverly a couple of years back that everybody can have an opinion on movies. I mean, you and I can, all the professional critics can, you know, Joe Joe Sixpack. Anybody can have an opinion on movies. So the only way to stand out in having an opinion is to have the most insane opinion. So mm-hmm. where everybody else is giving, you know. 9 out of 10, 9.5 out of 10 to, like, Toy Story 3. He's giving it, like, a 2 and saying, like, this is teaching children how to be pedophiles or something. I don't even know. But that's that's his whole that's his whole gimmick, is being the contrary, and that's why he's been so successful. And I feel like that's, that's the same kind of incentive structure that has been our whole society, where it's like, everybody agrees that, you know, we have to you know, wear masks and not stay away from people. But if you're the one guy who's out there saying, no, this is all bullshit, you know, maybe you won't necessarily get a... Uh, you won't get any necessarily power, but you'll get on TV. You'll get on Tucker Carlson because sure. you're the only you're the only person who's saying what nobody else is saying, and that's a very yeah. uh, twisted incentive structure that has been built around our whole society here. Sure, yeah. I was I was kind of thinking that like uh, when uh, you suggested this, it's like uh, 
you know, like under Nixon, they had like, you know, that idea of like the silent majority, how like most people out there are somehow reasonable or something like that. And, uh, and sort of support him based on, you know, being, you know, the people that Clinton called like they work hard and play by the rules kind of thing. And, uh, you know, this sort of like, it's sort of this idea that like, you got all these crazy people on TV saying different things and like all the protesters and that, but then there's like this giant like mass out there that just, you know, uh, is much more in tune with sort of how things should be run, but you know, and stuff like that. And it's always been appealed to by people like Reagan and stuff. And Reagan always had that idea that like, you know, it was very super majority people. And I think that like the left kind of had that same basic idea. Uh, they just kind of flipped it. They were like, okay, well, most people out there, they don't vote because they think it's bad or, you know, they don't whatever. They don't think it's worthwhile. But if you actually add up everyone, then like 70% of people agree with Medicare for all and all that kind of stuff. So it had that same kind of thing. I think now we're in this point where it's like that was all wrong, basically. Is that like like the, like the death of the silent majority where... Uh, it's just clusters of lunatics out there <laughs> competing with each other, would, you know, for like just, different, yeah. I would disagree with that a little bit. I think that it's true that 70% of people support Medicare for all. I mean, that's, or, you know, whatever, or there is that silent majority, but they don't have any power. And it's that, okay. it, it's, it, it is that, in, it is that incentive structure that creates it where, yes, you know, not just Toy Story is teaching children how to be pedophiles. It's, like, you know, yes, 70% of people support Medicare for all, but how many of those people are on TV? None, as far as yeah. I can tell. Maybe a True. couple, maybe Bernie and AOC, but yeah, you're, you're, and you're not going to get a salary, uh, and you're not, your job is not to be to support Medicare for all on TV every single day for 20 years. But I think that, yeah, there is that basic thing where, uh, you know, that you're, you're kind of getting at about this for something like a collective problem, like the pandemic, you need that sort of broad consensus on uh-huh. basic, basic, basic medical response kind of thing. And that seems to have completely fragmented the United States where there's like at least 10%, maybe 20% of the population are like aggressively going against the basic, uh, oh, yeah. you know. And that's not, At least. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that is kind of the indictment of society part where it's like, it's not yeah. just that they're ignoring it. There's also like, I, you know, I, sometimes there's protests here where we drive by where like they, they've got signs being like, uh, saying things like, if you turned off your TV, would you know there's a pandemic? And it's like, you know, like, come on, come on, buddy. You know, like that's kind of a, that's not a good sign for, uh, I don't, know. I don't actually even own a TV. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you say as you drive by and you're like Prius sipping your latte. Yeah, I'm sipping yeah. my latte. I'm on Twitter. I'm committing vehicular homicide. <laughs> it doesn't matter because it's Canada. What's the worst thing to happen? I'm going to get sent to Club Med. Yeah, but no, and I don't want to come off as a lib here because when you when you talk about how uh, it indicts our entire society, it also indicts. Uh, at least initially, the liberal establishment. I got into a I got into a big thing with some people on Twitter. I got a I got a Mad Deese five figgy like you know re- tweet. No no big deal. I do it quite easily despite my sub one thousand <laughs> follower status. I actually checked one time more more retweets than you've ever gotten done. So you know suck my dick. Okay. But <laughs> but it was like uh, the um, 
the Beardo guy from Vox, not uh, not Matt Iglesias, the lesser Beardo, uh, Aaron Rupar, I think his name is. Anyway, he okay, was saying, okay, yeah, he, he was saying that uh, he did this thing. It was like responding is like two hundred thousand people died of the corona. It's like uh, this is why you don't vote for Republicans. And then I I quoted that with a screenshot of Vox from May saying like. Uh, you don't need to wear a mask. Uh, epi- epidemiologists agree that it's not a big deal, and you know only people who are who are working the medical sphere need them. And there's a yeah. ver- there's there's a reason why that was, and this is what a lot of people are arguing with me about. The reason why that happened, I don't think anybody who's reasonable can agree or disagree. Rather, the reason why that happened was they wanted to keep the uh, mask supply for uh, medical workers. And I'm not even going to necessarily say that's bad. I mean, that was might have been the right thing to do. But there are these people who just refuse to believe that the people in charge would lie to them. The smart liberals in charge would lie to them. Even if, arguably, it was the right thing to do. They just cannot process that. So they're like, oh yeah, we've learned stuff, in, uh, we've learned stuff since then. And it's like, uh, yeah, we knew <laughs> in March that masks helped spread... Uh, prevent the spread of respiratory disease. That's why everybody in Japan wears them every fall. That's why my fucking dentist wore one in 1998 while he was looking into my mouth. It's not... Yeah. These people These people really want to sit there and tell you that the greatest epidemiologists in the world were just baffled. They're like, oh, do masks work? I don't know! And they're just well, they're yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Well, stocking up a supply. Like Matt Iglesias, there was a tweet that he since deleted, which was the same shit. Yeah, he's like he was telling people, "Hey, you don't need to ma- get a mask." And then you know, there was another tweet that we found where it's like, "You know, just mind up a couple of masks because you know, better safe than sorry." It's like, "Oh yeah, well, what about?" I I would think the same thing, asshole. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the CDC has been like they just keep going back and forth on all kinds of different stuff, and they were sort of responsible for that. You know, you don't need a mask, only medical professionals thing do. And and Mm -hmm. your explanation makes perfect sense. Like, I think that's a perfectly reasonable interpretation of it. But we don't really know. And we don't really know why they have been, like, flip-flopping back and forth on all this kind of stuff. And uh, (laughs) some people are talking about, like, they're in China's pocket for... I I don't know how that would relate exactly to all of this. But that may be an important factor to consider. I don't know. It's, It's... To me, like... When we're talking about like the way these liberals have been reacting to it, I think a big part of it is like the CDC is one of those like it's part of like this like liberal clergy institution that you're supposed to just like take as the word of God. Absolutely. Absolutely. If they they say so, that's it, even if it doesn't make any goddamn sense. Right. The scientists have come down, you know, and and that's what they've declared. So, well, Mm -hmm. yeah. And one thing that I hooked into pretty early on, too, was that whole, uh, you know, in Canada, when the story started spreading a bit, um, there was this wave of stories about how fear of the virus was fear of Chinese people. Like that was the way that it it was. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they did like uh, a lot of stories on stuff like how it's safe to go to Chinese restaurants. Don't worry about it, you know? And, um, uh, you know, and our, our friend Mike was pointing out too that like those restaurants, the reasons why they had collapse in sales was because Chinese people stopped going there. You know what I mean? It was uh-huh. like, it was people in those Chinatowns and stuff that were not going to their own, you know, like own in terms of community restaurants. And, uh, 
Yeah, no more bat soup Sunday. But so if you, that's another, that's another like fertile ground of tweets kind of thing because there's tons and tons. It became like a meme where all the liberal politicians and stuff were going to the Chinese community and saying, look, it's safe, go out, you know, eat at restaurants. There's no problem here. We're going to, you know, and there's also a bunch of people that are like, I ordered extra Chinese food to like help them through this patch and stuff. (laughs) And, and, uh, and, and, and it's funny because you're like, you know, at least like some people had to have gotten sick from that. Right. Like, I don't know, like at least like at least some people somewhere that must have, you know what though, actually, actually I, I would push, I would push, I would push back on that because I don't think, I mean, obviously, the whole thing about it, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm eating at the Chinese restaurants to support our community. Obviously, that was virtue signaling nonsense. But is there really any evidence that, you know, Chinese restaurants were the, the spreader sites, as far as right. I can tell? Yeah. I mean, no, the, yeah, yeah. People, who, people who work at Chinese restaurants weren't flying back to the mainland, especially no, no, after no. especially after there was this, you know, shit about it spreading. So, I mean, obviously, that is, that is silly, but... Yeah, they weren't any more dangerous than any other restaurant. No, no, right. no. But I, yeah, yeah. I, I just, yeah, I just meant that, like the the general circulation of people around the town or whatever kind of thing. You know I mean? But I guess, yeah, you're right. No one else was shutting down yet, so it doesn't really. Mm-hmm. If anything, they're probably more safe than the other places. But yeah, so yeah. But the thing is, like that you were alluding to is like the idea that being afraid of the virus was like racist or rooted sure. in racism, yeah. or whatever. Right, right. Now, yeah. I, I think I am proof that that's false because. You know, I am deathly afraid of Chinese people, but I'm not afraid of the virus at all. I feel like it's set me free. So, <laughs> sure, yeah, deathly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, bad choice of words there, but I, um, no, 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 no. I'm deathly afraid of Chinese people because my wife is Korean. So, <laughs> so you know. Oh yeah, oh yeah. They those people. They come over this country. They don't speak the language. They you know want to open restaurants. It's ridiculous. Yeah, build a bunch of railroads. You know who else came over to other people's countries to build railroads? The British Empire. All right. <laughs> How'd that work out for Africa? There was sure. a uh, there was a. I went to a uh, cannery in uh, Maine one time. And they were talking about how they, God, that would that this is would have sucked so much shit. Like they got all the there was this cannery, and nobody wanted to work there because it was awful, and you get your fingers cut off, and you were just uh, hands deep in dead fish all day. So they brought a bunch of Chinese people over there, and then everybody hated the Chinese people because they were taking away the jobs. And that was literally one of those one of those things where it's like, yeah, they're taking away our jobs that nobody wants to do. But right. then on the yeah. Yeah, but yeah. then on this but then on the same token, it's like. You know, the other people who were there would do them if you paid them enough, but that wouldn't be profitable to sell canned herring at one cent a tin or whatever. So, again, it all comes mm, back yeah. to capitalism, and that's that's the underlying problem. Sure. Sweet. Well, we're still on this topic. I did look this up ahead of time. I wanted to bring this up on the topic of libs ruining things for everyone. Oh, there it is. This is Clara Jeffrey, editor of Mother Jones, February 29th, 2020. Uh, It's a tweet, and I will read it. Humans, I am very scared of being sick. Epidemiologists, wash hands, avoid touch, wash hands. Humans, I want masks. Epidemiologists, they don't help the healthy stay that way, only sick from getting far sicker. Wash hands. Humans, dot, dot, dot. Epidemiologists, no, really. 
Humans, I am too lazy. Epidemiologists, sigh. Yeah. I I come back to that very frequently because it's not just that she's <laughs> it's not just that she's wrong, it's that she's also and she's obviously not the only person who did it. Not just that she's wrong, it's that she's so smug and condescending about being wrong and how yeah. oh uh, yeah, I I'm lazy because I don't because th- I don't believe for some reason that not wearing a mask is going to keep me from getting coronavirus. It's absolutely ridiculous and e- and you can absolutely bet that she had a fucking mask on at that time because she was talking about visiting her father in the hospital. Right. I don't know. It just yeah. shows you, like, people who are so invested in their, like, political camp that they just, I, I don't know, it, it, both sides, right? Like, they kind of flipped. Like, it used to be the, like, the right-wing types were the ones, like, stocking up on toilet paper and gas masks and shotguns and you know, like preparing for a zombie apocalypse. And, it, you know, then the, the, the liberals were the ones who were like, oh, no, this is all just racist paranoia. And then it flipped whenever the, like, the pol- politicians and the, the media or whatever that were aligned in these two different camps, they kind of flipped their position on it. And, and suddenly it became, like, about Trump's response. So then Trump mm-hmm. wasn't doing enough and this virus is so bad. And so that makes, you know, the left side kind of, like, want to amplify the danger and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. It's, it's just like, why, why pay attention to these people? Cause they're just kind of taking orders and just blurting out the talking points. Not, they're not thinking about things. They don't have any more information than you do. You know? Right. That's one of the, one of the best insights. Now that you mentioned it, that I've come up with over the last few years is that the people you see talking about shit on politics, both sides are just defense attorneys. Yeah, they don't give exactly. a shit what yeah. they're saying. They don't care who's who's guilty or not. Their job is to make their client look good. So, at the very least, you should not treat them as uh, impartial parties. Right. The sad yeah. thing is, some of those people get paid. Like, that's a oh, yeah. job that they do. So, it's like, okay, fine. You know, some people are going to be doing that. But some of these people, that's just, they get into it for the love of the game. And that's, I don't know, that's sad. That was... Listeners, uh, we're going to go back in time. That was the uh, debate and discussion forum on something awful. It was a bunch of dudes. <laughs> it was a bunch of dudes who were pretend who were uh, role playing being Matt Iglesias for no money. Being yeah, like, oh, yeah, Nancy Pelosi is smart. She's on fleek. We, you know, you guys just don't understand what she's doing. Or Obama, or any of those fucking yeah. guys. And unfortunately, the problem is those guys came off as smarter because. And let's not forget when I said that we're indicting the whole society here. Those guys came off as smarter because they were uh, opposed to proto Pepe's, these alt yeah. right, these alt right lunatics who you can still see them and they're and I don't want to bitch about Clara Jeffrey too much without mentioning the other side, which are these absolute lunatics who are literally killing people now, not back in February. People who think that it's a Muslim conspiracy to make you wear masks. Like Tom, do, do Muslims wear masks? I didn't think so. Oh uh, no, no, yeah, not really. Unless you're like, unless you're like hanging out in the middle of the desert, and you don't want to get sand in your face. Like I didn't. Right. I, I, I've never seen. I've never seen a Muslim wearing a mask. Yeah, the, the Tuaregs do it, I guess. The who? The the Berbers in the Sahara. Oh yeah, well I mean, in the middle of the Sahara. We can tell right. those guys that we got AC now. But yeah, when it comes to um, just indicting our entire society. 
the other thing, the other thing that and I, I wanted to mention David Graeber, and maybe we can talk about it more later. But one of the only reasons why this has worked as well as as it has is because you mentioned you know twenty percent of the people are actively resistant to doing the shit they have to do to stop things. Unfortunately, uh, <laughs> those people work in businesses that follow. Uh, the logic of the market, and like, no, you have to wear a mask, um, otherwise, you know, this shit will get worse and we'll lose even more money. So, the authority, the authoritarianism of the private sector is, unfortunately, one of the big, big factors that is stopping this from spreading further than it is. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. I guess that's part of it, but I mean, at the same time, it's it's pushing people back into circulation in different ways, right? Like, it's getting them, like, I mean, I'm sure the restaurant industry right now in the States is just mm-hmm. one of the worst offenders for, I'm sure that they want to just, you know, get everyone back into the restaurants and just shut, you know, don't care what happens, basically, I think a lot of them. I think there is that sort of, like, overarching rational thing where, you know, they want, they want things, there's, like, parts of them that want them things under control quickly and everything you know, in sort of a rational way, but I'm sure that I feel like a lot of them are probably pushing like uh, just total nonsense to get, just, you know, get those short-term profits back or something. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's, it's got to be a shitty position to be in because let's say you do like have some actual concern for like your workers and your community and stuff and you don't want to contribute to the spreading it any more than you have to but at the same time you know you you do have a livelihood you need to protect and everything and when you see the people who are in charge like not really doing what they should be doing you know obviously this varies from state to state place to place but let's say you're in the south or whatever where it's just been like oh we shut down for like a siesta you know one day that's probably enough let's get back to work uh you know if you're living in a situation like that i don't know do you do you really want to like close down when there's you know there's not going to be any assistance for you or, or anything. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It's got to be a tough situation. Yeah, I don't think, I think, I don't think some of it is, uh, you know, I mean, that that does frame it in kind of a more altruistic way than I think that, like, sometimes, uh, you know, here I think that, like, uh, at least the construction industry and stuff just wants some basic rules so they can pretend they're following them. I don't think oh, that sure. they actually yeah, care. Yeah. They're just trying to get the people back into work and they, you know, trying to make it so that like anything is considered essential and stuff, you know, like just, I don't know. So, Oh yeah. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, when you're so used to like treating the kind of labor market as just like this kind of constant turnover kind of thing, just churn through people, you know? Yeah. I, I guess you just apply the same logic here. I, I'm just trying to point out like, even if you have like the best case example of like someone who does sure, care, sure. Yeah, like yeah, you're yeah. still in a tough position. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like Zizek said, the uh, the the uh, compassionate slave owner is the worst. <laughs> I, I guess, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's it's more complicated than that. Maybe. <laughs> right. Yeah, I feel like yeah. the the malicious slave owners maybe. Were, I don't know. I have to re- revisit that one. No. No, 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 but he did, he did say stuff like, uh, yeah, like in, in the Soviet bloc and stuff, he said that like the people that believed the most in the system were the ones that thought it could be reformed somehow, you mm-hmm. know, that they were the ones that like, you know, I think it's, I think that's similar kind of thinking. Yeah. Like they're the ones that they're the true believers really, because they're the ones that are like, oh no, 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 we could just become democratic socialist one day or something. And yeah, they they somehow are more committed to the underlying regime than, you know, 
people who are just like cynical or something. So yeah, yeah. okay, that, that makes sense. Like the rose emojis, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. the analog, I guess. Yeah. Um. So did you have more on David Graeber you wanted to say, or do you want to just get into that now? Or um, a little bit. Um, he died a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if we even know what it was. Was it Corona? Do we have any idea? I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't think they said. Yeah. No. Yeah, I don't know. But, uh, David, I'm guessing AIDS. <laughs> uh, David Graeber was one of the. Uh, this actually backing up. One thing I was reading one of his uh, essays a couple of days ago, and this is very good content for you can win. I think because he did he did the shit that a lot of dudes on the left do when they start opening an essay about their beliefs. It's like uh, you know everybody's. This is like 2011, I think. Like. Uh, you know, anarchism is becoming big. It's becoming on fleek. You know, a lot of people are realizing <laughs> it. So why are there so many, why are there so few people in uh, academia who are not anarchists? And that's that's just such a classic uh, left essayist shit. We're like, no, people are yeah. starting to believe with me. Shit's happening. Yeah, we're getting there. And Yeah, my and, book club yeah. doubled from 10 to 20 last week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but aside aside from that criticism, um, one I David Graeber I think was aside from Chomsky, what, you read something and it just recontextualizes your whole worldview. And there were two of these there were two of these things that I've been thinking about recently. Uh, one was on bullshit jobs, which I want to get back to. Um, the other thing that I was thinking about was just this idea that um, we. Uh, we live in a society, as the Joker would say, where it's structured around. And coming back to coming back to COVID, it's structured around. I have to drive in and fight the boss in traffic every day to sit in an office and do the shit that I could do at at my computer. And there is a reason for that. It's that I am under surveillance. It is that I. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm getting too personal. I'm at a high level in my company, but even so, I'm under surveillance. Where if I like start looking at uh, Russian porn at work, I can I can get fired. Whereas as long as mm-hmm. I continue doing my job at home, I can look at all the Russian porn I want, and I do, and it's not a big deal. But mm-hmm. the the idea the idea that the system is based around this just waste of resources and this annoyance that we all have to deal with is something that has been very uh, formative to me over the last few years. Oh, the other thing uh, the other thing I was thinking about was um, David Graeber is also the guy who pointed out that the myth of barter, you guys know about that? Yeah, that's uh, he yeah. talked about that in debt, which yes. uh, I like that book quite a bit. That was that was really revelatory and I've mentioned that to normies. And they don't believe it until they look it up, or I start yelling at them at a party and ruining everybody's lives. But the, <laughs> yeah, that 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 is like the creation myth. That's the Adam and Eve of neoliberal capitalism. Like uh, people were, you know, people were, you know, they were always just trading stuff and blah blah blah. You know, they were doing market transactions, yeah. and it was a pain in the butt. And then we had, then we decided we were going to come up with money, and everything was great. And it's like no, uh, people's transfer of ownership was based on, like, if you and I were friends, and, like, if, like, hey, man, can I borrow your car? Yeah, sure, why not? 
And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, like, hey, can you watch my daughter? Yeah, great. And then as time went on, there was the uh, numerization of that. Like, how much, uh, like, if I, like, I need a chicken. All right, well, I need to borrow a goat. How much is a chicken worth? How much is a goat worth? And they have to create these arbitrary numerical values that uh, lead into debt and lead into the monetary system. That Not only is that more true historically, it also makes vastly more sense when you think about it. And yeah. I feel like that has been yeah. just a, that has just been a huge uh, boon to people, especially myself, uh, people's grasp of like what the uh, natural state of being should be and like how our relations with each other in, in our common lives are perverted, I guess is the only word to use. Yeah. One, there's a bunch of stuff in that book that I, I kind of took away from it that I really liked. Um, one was the sort of idea that uh, what he, you know, he uses small C communism to say like, that's the only thing that mm-hmm. actually works. Like if you're sure. in a workplace, you work with everyone in a communistic fashion in that you don't exchange. Like if you need to borrow a stapler, the person doesn't sell you the stapler or rent you the stapler. You just ask for it and they give it to you because you need it because you're working on this thing together, you know? And so mm-hmm. that's like, that's like a, a very micro example of communism at work, but like, that's the only thing that could actually work there. Like any kind of middlemaning of that would just, you know, be very inefficient. Um, and the other is the, like basically what you're talking about where like, it's these organic relationships that develop where people, you know, they have different trades and stuff like that. And, you know, maybe you have some sort of annual crop or whatever. So you, you don't have stuff to pay with, all throughout the year, but you know, you know, people know you and know that you're going to have this thing at the, at a certain time of the year that you can pay off all your, your tab with basically, you know? So like people would just have like a running tab for a whole year and then pay it off all at once. I'm pretty sure that's historically accurate. The thing with that book is it's not super well sourced and I'm sure there's a ton of problems with the exact historical arguments that he makes, but I think the ideas are I don't know. They, they work pretty well. Um, so just on that level, I think it's worth looking at, but you know, it, it kind of gets into the idea of like how currency was most useful to like soldiers because they did not have these sorts of organic kind of relationships with a community that they were in. They came from some other place and they were just there to like occupy it or whatever. So they needed something that they could use to, to engage with the economy. So they had currency, so they were paid in currency and they could use that throughout the, the conquered territories and stuff. But I don't know. All that stuff makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I really like the his essay on uh, anarchist anthropology where he's talking about how really just about like human possibility. Like that's what he kind of nails uh, on a lot. He kind of says like, you know, it, it's it the, the assumption that our institutions have to be a particular way um, is, in, in, you know, the, in the, that is natural. It's so frozen into a lot of people's minds that he's like, there's so many different ways of arranging things um, that you see everywhere. Now, I think that that's true. I think what Tom, you know, gets at is true is that like, uh, you know, that that is that is suited to a certain type of person that is like an essayist kind of thing, like coming up with interesting ways of reversing your, you know, long-held opinions and things by showing like an insight or something that that's not necessarily the same work as someone doing diligent you know historical work trying to figure out what exactly happened 
you know, somewhere else or something like that. Like that's, it's not the same kind of thing as like other types. So there's certain types of academics that hate that kind of thing, you know, that really dislike this sort of big sky thinking kind of stuff. But I really like it because it's like, uh, it's useful. I mean, it's like, you know, it's generating new concepts and stuff. It's generating new ways of looking at things. I don't know. So I think that's, that's one of the best things that academics can do, I think is, is to do that kind of thing. So yeah. Yeah, definitely. And um, on the topic of creating uh, bigger ideas, uh, I think I think this is probably the biggest idea that anyone's really had, or at least the most influential. And time will bear this out. But the idea of bullshit jobs, I mean, that just that just twists your brain around in its skull, and you start seeing the world in an entirely different way. Like for me, I work in an office, and I have a real job, but I work twenty hours a week, maybe. Mm-hmm. And the rest of it is I'm just sitting there reading quietly. And I have an office, you know, if I was like a drone uh, answering phones and such, you know, there's people who are watching over you. So there, it's not that everybody has this, it's that there are two separate t- uh, clades of people. There are people who actually have to work, and the people who work at, you know, McDonald's, they're out there, where they're working 40 hours a week. They just go, go, go. Or... Um, to compare to the private sector, or the public sector, rather, people like to complain about, oh, the, I had to go to the DMV, and they're so fucking lazy, and everything's so slow. Those people are working every second from from uh, bell to bell. And they'll take they'll yeah. take an hour lunch, they'll take 15-minute breaks, but they're working, whereas I, in the private sector, I'm on Twitter. I'm making memes about Joe Biden being a Maoist. Nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody looks over my shoulder, and there, there has been this thing. And the other thing about uh, bullshit jobs that really uh, spoke to me was I was reading – I used to read the Onion AV Club, mm-hmm. and they, they, they would do um, – they would do reviews of – they do reviews of TV episodes – where uh, they would they would recap, you know, this person would recap what happened in a TV episode and you know, what they thought about it, and they give it like a rating. And I was so bored reading these for years, not many years, but a couple, until I read that article. I'm like, why am I reading this? I either <laughs> I either saw the episode and formed my own opinion about it, in which case I have no interest in what this person's writing, or I didn't see the episode, will not see it, in which case I don't care about what this person has to say, and this person is not an interesting writer in any way. They don't have any strange and interesting insights. I'm just filling time. I'm just sitting, reading quietly uh, until I get to go home. And there's mm-hmm. so much of that on the internet now. There's so much content that just exists. There was a um, there was an article I saw about the trailer for Dune, and it was six long paragraphs on like Wired.com or something, and the the summary of the article was there is a new trailer for Dune and it looks like it could be good. And you just yeah. sit there and you, you're supposed to read this shit and just fill your day until you can go home. And there are so many jobs like that. And again, I don't want to say it's it's everybody there, but for me, for somebody in my position. It's like these these jobs are not are not real. It's more that I'm I'm there, so I I feel like I'm being productive, and it, I feel like I'm contributing, and I'm going I'm I'm driving into the office. I'm going to Dunkin' Donuts. I'm getting a coffee. I'm paying them. I'm creating a job there. 
Whereas, yeah, it's it, it is it is just it is just make work to a to a huge extent. But I feel like the, part of the problem that that they've run into with uh, the recent uh, unrest in this country is if people don't have shit to do, they're just going to go out and protest because shit sucks. So that's part of the reason yeah. why the American system has uh, such a uh, requirement that you go out and work even if you're not really doing anything. Yeah. I think a big part of it, too, is that bosses want to feel like they're bosses of people in a room and not that they just have, like, some responsibility for, you know, to, like, manage other people's work. Like, they want to walk into a room and, like, know that everyone in that room answers to them kind of thing, you know? That was one of the... Uh specific examples from the bullshit jobs book. If like you're a receptionist and you answer five calls a day, say, for this uh, company that is struggling or just getting set up or is very small, right? But you have even though you only work ten minutes a day, you still have to be there because your position exists to signal to people calling in that this is a real company. They have a receptionist. Right, yeah. It's yeah. not just it's not just the guy who owns it answering the phones. There's a real person there. So even though you're, it's a huge waste of money and a huge waste of your time, your job is just to sit there, be on Twitter, and occasionally answer the phone, uh, mostly for people who are trying to cold call you to sell you office supplies. Right. It's like I don't know if you've seen Better Call Saul, but he's like, you know, he's like a lawyer, but he's having, he's really just scraping by. He barely has any clients and stuff. And so whenever he gets a call on his phone, he answers in like this really goofy, like fake British lady accent to like yeah. pretend yeah. like, you know, he's a secretary kind of thing. Yep, absolutely. And if you can, I would, I would think that most of these guys who have the, have the capital to spend, especially because a lot of Silicon Valley is just blowing money out their ass. But, you know, a lot of those guys would consider that Better Call Saul thing to be um, embarrassing to do. So if you can pay somebody seven fifty an hour to sit there and do it for you, you know, right. well, why the, not? The illusion still stands, right? Like, it, 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 yeah. all you're doing is that you hired someone actually to do it. You know, it's not like there's a, a real role that's being served there. It's just the illusion is now reinforced by the fact that that person is actually there to do the job. Uh-huh. Yeah. Hmm. Um. Yeah. Did you have more on Graber that you wanted to talk about, or is that your? Um, not a whole lot. I I really feel like the bullshit jobs is. I think a lot, if more people come kind of come around to listening to it, I think it is probably one of the most important works of the last couple decades, just because how it challenges our assumptions and it twists around the idea of like. You know, we think about under Soviet communism, people have all these idiot jobs that don't do anything, but that's the lives for a lot of people yeah. who are just on Twitter for yeah. doing doing fuck all. What do you what do you think that their their uh, like interests are in terms of like left politics or something like that? Do you think that like those people because they've got you know bullshit jobs? Do you think they're like they would be like naturally hostile to to anything changing like i could you know people always point that out for health insurance they're like well if we get rid of health insurance then like that whole industry collapses or something so mm-hmm. um actually i have i have a uh, bit of i have a bit of personal uh, investment in this well not investment but a bit of personal experience because when i was in high school i worked for a 
uh, health. In- I worked for a call center that uh, did health insurance billing, and those mm-hmm. are those are th- some of the worst jobs. Not in terms of like you know you want to clean up shit, you want to clean up dead bodies. Those are probably worse on your uh, physical being, but in terms of your emotional state, those are some of the worst fucking jobs. And yeah, people people who work for them probably, you know, don't want to lose them because to lose them is to lose their, you know, livelihood to be out on the street. Mm-hmm. Especially especially there's nothing else to do. But I think if you gave those people like like the Bernie plan was, then they're gonna give them retraining and they're gonna give them the ability to get different jobs. I don't think anybody is really attached to those fucking jobs. Those things sure. are loathsome. Yeah. You 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 those things are loathsome. Like you talk to old yeah. ladies and you tell them, "I'm sorry, you can't. Your husband's gonna die. There's nothing I can yeah. do." You know, uh, well, no, we've already we've already established that we're not gonna pay out uh, this policy. So you know, I, no, I understand, ma'am. I understand that there's nothing I can do. Those True. are yeah. Like some people really would rather just clean up dead bodies than have to deal with that shit. So True. I worry that like. A lot of the managers and like people that have easier jobs in those systems would sort of fight to the death for some of those jobs because they're like, uh, you know, or at least like the political lawyer types who, you know, what I mean, like that that have a mm-hmm. lot of uh, influence over them. I feel like those people, uh, the more that you say their job isn't real, the more they'll be like, well, <laughs> you know, like uh, they're like, yeah, and I don't want to do anything real. Do you know what I mean like I don't know? I feel like there's some sort of uh, you know, interest there. I mean, the people that are writing the articles for about, you know, Dune trailer recaps, like, uh, you know, are they going to jump at the chance to get a job as like a bus driver? I don't know. So, yeah. No. Yeah. You're, you're right about that. I, I mean, even me, like maybe it's hypocritical, but if it comes right down to it, I'd rather sit on my fucking ass and post on Twitter 20 hours a week than, you know, dig holes for a living. But sure, it it is a it is a it is a problem that nobody really wants to talk about the fact that you know sure. I yeah. have I have I have a make work job that and my job actually does does things I'm not just like somebody who's you know hanging out and you know writing Dune trailer recaps like we were productive in in a you know hypothetical sense. But yeah, I mean, if you want to, if you know, drag those people out and make them actually work, then you're probably right. They would resist that to a great extent. Mm-hmm. Here's an idea. I don't know. What do you guys think of this? The, you know, you were talking about the affinity for like leftist politics that a lot of the people in this position of having a bullshit job, you know, they kind of like tend towards this lately. What do you think of the idea that maybe the what they see like they they realize this situation they realize that there's bullshit jobs and then there's like people who just have to like actually grind their way through life and that they want everyone just to have a bullshit job that that their idea of like leftist victory would be everyone having a bullshit job of some kind yeah like anime appraisers like that tweet yeah exactly yeah Yeah. i think uh, i think that would be nice but i don't know since i'm on you can't win i'm gonna be pessimistic i think that would require a lot of these people especially in the higher levels to admit and agree that their jobs are pointless and that um, that would probably not work very well okay yeah. um yeah. 
So I, uh, I, I think here's the thing. Even if if I was not talking to you guys under a pseudonym on a podcast online, like if my boss came in and like, hey, what are you doing today? I wouldn't be like, yeah, I'm goofing off twenty hours a week. I'd be like, no, I'm working on this project and I've got this thing and I've got this other thing. Yeah, like, yeah. There is there is a there's a lie that no one can no one can admit because everybody's implicated by it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I sometimes find myself in the position of, you know, I keep my OPSEC pretty tight, so I don't, you know, I haven't let it out in the public what exactly my work is or whatever. But sometimes people, I will say like, oh, I, you know, I'm just doing this bullshit stuff. It is completely meaningless, but I'm getting paid, so I'm happy with it. And people kind of like argue with me like, oh, no, the stuff you do is actually important and it's good. And, you know, I'm just like, all right, well, I guess you know better than I do, you know, that kind of thing. Well, sometimes I tell you that, so I'm well, doing it. So, well, yeah, yeah. well, here's a thought. Here's a thought. What if those people, I mean, if they work with you, what if they're lying too, but they just don't want to uh, admit it? What if they're... No, no, what, I'm, what if, what? I'm self-employed, so that's not the situation. Well, like okay, like Don just said, it's like him telling me, like, oh, no, the stuff you do is actually good and stuff. And he, he's not wrong about the, the specifics that he points out. Like, there is some benefit to that. But overall, I... I yeah. You know, it's it's... It, it, the thing is, it doesn't. I don't feel bad about it at all. Like I'm yeah, happy yeah. to like sponge off of uh, you know this system and just kind of like get by. I, I live pretty well for the low amount of work I actually have to do, so I'm happy yeah. with it. But um, did you want to get into a little bit on RBG? You said uh, maybe. I am uh, curious what your take is. My uh, my take on RBG was like. So, uh, going back to Corona, has anybody ever noticed that if you're if you're on video and you're like just some asshole and you're in Target and you're not wearing a mask, people are like, you know, you piece of shit, you've ruined everything. But if you're RBG yeah. and you're not wearing a mask at some idiot's uh, wedding, it's like, how dare you tell her what to do? I think it's yeah. the same. I think it's the same kind of project where like the the rules, the the criticism does not flow upward. And she fucking sucked, and now we're all dealing with it, and unfortunately the only people who can deal with that are just these fucking fanboys, fangirls, I guess, technically, mostly, who I don't know. I think that there was also the thing that where it came out where these people were thinking that she was tough and, you know, notorious and all that. And they actually believed that. They thought, oh, she's not going to die from, from the coronavirus or from her cancers, plural. She's notorious. She's yeah. tough. And, like, she's not actually tough. You realize that, right? Yeah. She's 87 yeah. years old and weighs 22 pounds. She's not, you know, Anderson yeah. Silva. She's not Brock Lesnar. She is yeah. an old Jewish lawyer woman, and these people have just completely lost track of the outside world and the effects that their ability that their decisions have. Yeah, I think that I think Matt Brunick pointed that out in one of uh, he was saying about like how uh, there was like an article. Someone pointed this out, like a. Uh, there was an article that argued uh, in the past about like how she was strong kind of thing. And, and in it, it, there was that pivot in it 
from saying, you know, like uh, her descents were strong, therefore somehow she was physically strong, kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like a, it, 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 uh, it somehow uh, equivocated between uh, the physical health and some sort of like uh, emotional strength, and uh, as if like uh, it was, it was, uh, it was rude to say that she could die someday because you know like she would somehow uh you know girl boss her way to 200 or something you know like just i don't know the descent shit is i mean other people have mentioned this the descent shit is so insane when you think about it because that's how she why she was tough that's why she was such a uh you know icon is that she descended and yeah what that meant is that she was losing she was losing yeah. <laughs> in 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 dec in decades, if not centuries, of precedent, and I don't believe precedent's yeah. real. That's another thing I'm going to work. I'm going to I can crank on later, maybe next episode. Precedent is not real, but in the legal system, it is real. And yeah, like people are like, yeah, you know, she's so be- she's so badass. She's you know arguing with these guys. Well, great, she's arguing with them. It's better than nothing, I suppose, but. She's not doing anything. She's just writing blog posts where she's mad about the shit that is becoming law. Yeah. I mean, that's that's part of our ethos, too. Uh, uh, you can't win. We're really big on uh, complaining about things we have no control over. So <laughs> that's I think true. That's, uh, you know, yeah. I, I kind of a kind of sympathetic there. So, yeah, I honestly don't know anything about her. Like, I don't know why she's so beloved. Is she was she just like a liberal? Is that the thing? Yeah, she's a liberal. Yeah, she's, she's just liberal yeah. and on the Supreme Court. Yeah, and then and then it came, then a few years ago it came. She decided that, or she didn't decide. A bunch of weird fucking weirdos and perverts, as you say, Tom. A bunch of uh, decided that she was going to be epic because they needed a woman um, example, you know, to show girls. About how it's important to be tough. Yeah. She was never even really all that great either. Like, Sonia Sotomayor has better legal uh, rulings than she ever did. But. Yeah. Yeah. And very obvious things like her, you know, mentioning. Anytime that they did get a quote from her, it was almost always stuff like. Colin Kaepernick is like a rude fellow or something kind of thing. You know, it was just all, it was all stuff that like, uh, didn't fit the image, but, uh, and she's, you know, and obviously I think, I think, uh, you know, other people have pointed this out, but that like, she didn't like care about rap music or whatever. It's not like she was like, you know, trying to be epic other than just like accepting the, you know, label or whatever. It's not, I don't know. So, yeah. Oh, uh, one thing on that, though, is that uh, they did do something in Cuba did in the last few years is they changed their constitution so that uh, you can't become president uh, the first time if you're over 60. Like you have to be like 58 or something to become president. And uh, because as like a natural sort of reaction to the fact that like everyone sort of realized when Castro was, you know, Fidel Castro was getting very old that like that was like a nightmare situation for them you know what i mean there's this like ancient guy just rambling on and stuff so they decided to make that rule like you can't be the top person if you're uh you know in your 70s or something and uh i thought that's funny because uh 
imagine even trying to get that rule for like 70 in the United States or something like that. You know, like Elizabeth Warren is 70 or 71 now. So it's like, you know, it's like, uh, it's just the idea that like, we're not going to be, you know, I mean, we, because Canada is just part of the United States now, but like, you know, where someone that's like 79 is not going to be the one that rules over you for decades kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, uh, that is so not even part of the debate, but yeah, someone like, uh, the Supreme court, like these lifetime appointments, like just nuts that like, you know, you can be in your eighties and be like, yep, yeah, just continuing on. I don't know. Yeah. Something I assume like, they implemented that rule the day after they saw the debate between yeah, Biden yeah, yeah. and Trump. Ah, estos hombres son muy tardos. But yes, that is that is a one thing. I my theory about the uh, way the American system works now with all the old elderly people is that it essentially is a pyramid scheme, as you would say, herbal left, where mm-hmm. if you get in, you don't come out. But there are only a certain number of positions that can be filled, and even a fewer number of positions that can be filled that matter. So really, the only way to like move up the chain is just to hang on to power for longer and longer and longer until you become uh, the House Majority Leader, and you're mm-hmm. fucking eighty years old, and you forget where you are and say good morning Sunday morning. That that's that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's my theory about how power works in, in the U.S. because we've made it so that you can't, with some exceptions, you can't be voted out of office. So it's just a matter of, until you are so senile and shitty that nobody wants to vote for you anymore. But yeah, that that's my theory about how this shit works. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right. I, I mean, I'm usually pretty averse to the whole like decadent Roman Empire analogy and applying that to the United States. But in that particular instance, I think it works pretty well. Like it, it's the same sort of like just decadent crumbling system sort of a thing. So that was that was the uh, that was the thing that I was last time I was on here. Um, I mentioned that the troops were the worst posters on the internet by far, and yeah, um, one thing one thing that uh, was almost literally said by a troop a couple of days ago that made me just grind my teeth down to the nubs was uh, the thing that I said on this program before on this fine program was that you know. Everybody else is like, oh, I hate the Jews. I'm talking, you know, just talking shit. Or the troops is, the troops were like, yeah, you know, I killed a couple of people, but, you know, they were in my face. Who cares? And then I saw a thing on Twitter from a troop who was like, yeah, you know, I killed a couple of kids and their mamas. Is that what you want me to say? It's not my fault. Blame the government. Almost literally, <laughs> word for word, the shit that I said. I was just about to go super sane inside of my hutch. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I thought I thought it was funny last time that like uh, we had talked about uh, you know troops and how I would like my kind of annoyance about it was that everyone was kind of focusing on the police even though the police I mean I understand why but like the police are like a small percentage of sort of like the overall security budget really you know what I mean compared to just how right. much they throw into like you know they probably spend more on vehicles for the U.S. military in a year than they do on police for everything in the United States kind of thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like just, yeah, that's, that's the, the scale the police of it. usually just gets like leftovers from the military. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean just even the police's salaries and stuff, you know what I mean? Just like, just yeah. the, 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 yeah, the inequality there, but like, uh, and then it was funny cause within a few days of that, they put the troops into the streets 
as like a testing thing to see if, uh, you know, they were going to do that to like use them to quell the protests. And then they kind of had to give up on that pretty quickly because I think even the, the military leaders were like, we can't like, you know, unless we are, we're allowed to free fire into cl- crowds like we want to, like we can't like do much kind of thing. So they yeah. said like, uh, they tried then after that, they did like the federal agent thing where they like sent in, you know, people in that weird camo and stuff. And, and it was, it was interesting because it was like a nerve sent, you know, like any sort of anti-protest stuff in the past still had that like nerve center kind of thing where like it was centrally coordinated even though pretend it wasn't and stuff but this is the first time that they actually did that to like such a degree that like they actually put the people in but it was funny because it was like the democratic mayors and stuff pushed back on that in some ways because it was you know people were already complaining the police are an occupation force and it like got so brazen then right it just was like openly you know, but I feel like there's still that honeymoon for the troops in some degree where like uh, um, uh, people, you know, the defund the police thing is a big moment. But like uh, I've seen people like Bernie Sanders try to talk a lot about like defunding, not in those words, but like cut back on the military and stuff. And no one cares. No one cares compared to mm-hmm. the police stuff. So I don't know. Thing that you were mentioning, it just reminded me. Actually, the thing you were mentioning about uh, the uh, military commanders who were saying, like, yeah, no, no actually, we don't want the, the uh, troops in the city. A couple of days ago, I was walking my dog, and there were there was this uh, skinny white woman who was walking two pit bulls on the other side of the road. And they see they see my dog and they start freaking out and barking and screaming. She's like, no, no, they're fine, you know, but yeah, stay on the other side of the fucking street. She didn't say that, but that was the. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. That was the uh, that was the implication, and yeah, that's exactly what the military command are. Uh, they're just sitting on a bomb, and as long as nobody uses the bomb, it's fine. But yeah, if you want to actually move the fucking troops into the streets, uh, they you're looking at. And that was um, uh, Tom Cotton's editorial that got a bunch of people pissed off. Sent like, yeah, let's yeah. send the troops into the streets, like. Do you know how many people the police kill in this country? This is something I've argued with leftists online for a while. Do you know how many people the police kill in this country every year? About 1,100. Obviously way too high. Mm -hmm. Obviously bad. You know, one is too many. But if if the troops only killed 1,100 people a year on average for the last 20 years, we'd be ecstatic. These people are fucking fucking lunatics. And you let them, and they're also not even not even they're bad people, which they are, but they also have been built built and uh, damaged even worse than the cops. Where if like the guy next to you start shooting, you start shooting, and the cops have pistols; these guys have automatic weapons. And yeah, it's it is just so so insane to try to talk about putting these people in charge about. Uh, maintaining civic order unless you want, and some people do, unless you want thousands of people dead in a weekend. Yeah, it's the difference between Little League and, like, Major League, you know. Um, I I think putting the troops in, it's also counterproductive if you don't let them just use the full extent of their capability, you know, and just go hog wild with it. Because then what are they there for? Like, at some point, people are going to realize, like, oh, they're not shooting back they're not actually doing anything they're just there to look scary 
that's you know that's really going to undermine the whole point of putting them there in the first place because that's supposed to be like your last line so like where do you go from there if you're putting troops in there who aren't shooting then then what you know i guess you just let them shoot at that point but yeah that doesn't seem like a good situation to be forced to do that oh my god yeah now the the troops are just absolutely vile and awful people there was a charlotte climber this is a tweet entitled kids in afghanistan versus donald trump Charlie Clymer, uh, who was a, uh, is a veteran. But there is no doubt in my mind that if needed, I could kill other human beings efficiently, tactically, without hesitation. Versus today, we're going to, uh, this is regarding Donald Trump, we're going to fight for their safety, healing, and well-being, even when we know they wouldn't do the same for us. Because that's who we are, and that kind of mindset prevents all of us from getting in tragic situations just like this. And this is... This is, I, I, I want to be absolutely clear about this for people who are still listening. This, this is not me being contrarian. This is not being me being a troll. This is not me just being difficult or trying to be epic or edgy. I hate these people. And I know a lot of people would are opposed to the idea of saying the word I hate, but I hate them. They are just awful. And the fact that somebody like Charlotte Clymer could become a operative in the Democratic Party after doing just imperial murder in the third world is just loathsome to me. And I would like, if I could be a fly on the wall, I would like to see the kind of shit that she said while she was in Afghanistan, while she was in Iraq, because I can tell you it's worse than anything you've ever seen any cop say, at least publicly. And so many of these people have just decided that the the troops are just beyond criticism because they come from bad backgrounds. Well, yeah, so do cops. Why why are the cops not why are the cops not acceptable? And the answer is because the cops are in your face and the troops are not. Um, who's who's that guy that uh, he was a marine? He's like a DSA guy. That in Virginia, I think I can't remember his name, but um, oh, yeah, <laughs> the Reddit guy, um, Lee Carter, Lee Carter. Yeah, he. I thought it was funny that I would I would bother him about this uh, sometimes. That like uh, he he uh, you know he like it's funny because you kind of run both directions. You're kind of like I'm a Marine, you know, like a former Marine, and uh, I'm against war and stuff like that. But there's some there's some residual thing there of. I'm good because I'm a Marine kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like yes, there's some, yeah. there's some like, uh, it's like I'm tough because I did this and, and got through it and realized that it was bad or something. So I used to say to him, like, uh, he should call in the Virginia house of delegates, whatever, like, uh, that he should say that they should revoke all the medals for the Marines historically, right? you right. know, <laughs> like that they should, uh, shut down the Marines and revoke all the medals. And, uh, I was thinking that'd be like a funny thing for him because, you know, no one would do that. You know what I mean? It would just be like career suicide or whatever. It'd just be like, uh, you know, it'd be too far. But there's no real reason why that would be bad compared, you know, like uh, people that like fought in like, say, Quezon uh, or something like that, you know, like not not getting their medals, <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like, so are you anti-war or are you like, no, 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 we want like the prestige of the Marines, but we don't want to like actually have them fight wars or something you know like it's like uh, it's like very strange uh, gray zone so yeah i 
I would go even farther than you. I've thought about this, and I am a lunatic that nobody should pay attention to when it comes to these sorts of things, but when I see that kind of shit online, I'm like, oh, so you're, you have decided to live as a pauper and to give every dollar you make towards your victims. Yes? No? Yeah. Okay, so, yeah. So, you are 95% as bad as everybody else you you, you declaim. And I'm going to tell you what else. Even if, you, even if I did see you out on the street begging for money to give to your victims, I would still spit on you. Uh, again, I, again, I don't want to be... I want to be absolutely clear. I am not kidding. I hate these people, and I <laughs> okay. There's just there's nothing that gets me angrier than watching them just get away with it, as uh, Jesse Pinkman would say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. There, there okay. is sort of a funny thing of like, like Tulsi Gabbard sort of coasts on this too, where it's like, oh, she knows the costs of war because she's a, she was a vet or whatever. And so she knows, like, not to go to war when we shouldn't. Like, it kind of adds to, like, this anti-war cred, you know? But it's, like, mm-hmm. all the thousands or even millions of people who just knew from the get-go that was a bad... Like, why do <laughs> yeah, we yeah. only grant this sort of credibility to people who are apparently so stupid that they had to actually go to a war zone and then realize, oh, wait, war is kind of not that great, and then come she back knows. and make a career on it? Let's... Let's teach her the cost of war by firing a fucking missile into her apartment building. See, let her fucking teach the learn the cost of war that way. Right. Yeah, I mean, she's a particularly awful example of this type of person because she's clearly not anti-war. It's just like she has this particular sort of angle to it where it's like she's perfectly fine, like with all this like extreme sort of anti-muslim kind of stuff like she's obviously like in bed with the whole like right wing uh of the like the indian kind of rss type folks and uh yeah it's it's obvious that she's not like anti-war in in a kind of principled sense it's more some sort of like tactical thing where it's like she doesn't want the military to get the contract she Mm. wants like some mercenary company or something you know what i mean like it's some real creepy shit like that yeah yeah doesn't doesn't want the military. I mean, even if I mean, if you want to be you know generous to her, you know, maybe she doesn't want her friends to die over there. Great, but what's the difference there? It's like oh, just more bombs. It's, yeah, but it's someone's like, got to question, kill those people. Yeah, the question isn't should we be over there? Should we be killing those people? It's like should we be putting our beautiful troops in danger? Yeah, exactly. All right, before we uh, maybe head into a direction that could get us in some trouble let's uh field some questions here to wrap up the episode sure Woo. um all right so this one uh i've been meaning to answer this for a while it's a bit of a long one so i am just going to summarize it it's uh someone asking us our advice they have recently entered the fray of online content production and they are Someone who is apparently like on the left, they say, I'm a leftist, but I consider the anti-woke left to be part of my opposition. And they've got been in the position of being able to uh, like interview or host some people who are like on the right or someone that they oppose. They're not really super specific about this. So their question is, does that seem like something they should do or not? Like there's the argument that they should not be platforming these kinds of people or giving exposure to them. Uh, but the other side is that, well, you know, I'm, I'm there to be able to argue with them and debate them and stuff like that. So it's kind of that sort of a debate. So, um, yeah. What are you guys' thoughts on this? 
Um, personally, I, I, if it doesn't feel right, don't do it. I think would be like a good, you know, start thing. I guess it depends on what you're going to talk about too. Like it just in terms of the, if it's going to be a pleasant conversation or not, or if you want it to be competitive or something, but like, you know, it, sometimes, uh, if you're talking to someone that's right wing and you're just like, uh, you know, they're like, we're human too kind of thing, you know, and then they just, uh, they sort of pander to you and stuff. I don't think that that's really, I don't know what you're going to get out of that much, you know what I mean? And stuff. I don't know the, the, the kind of goal on that, but like, uh, um, in terms of like uh, having pleasant conversations about like things that you actually agree on and uh, you sort of shy away from the more extreme stuff or whatever, I think that's fine if uh, that's the goal. I mean, uh, th- I mean, if your goal is eventually that you want them to like say say not necessarily just right wing, but particular noxious opinions or something like that, you know, that you is like you personally disagree with or something, then it's like, uh, you know, I mean, eventually you want them to change their mind, right? You don't want to just like deny their humanity or something just get rid of them or something you want to like you know so i think that i think that's fine but like yeah i think uh trying to be edgy with it it's not like i don't know it's kind of boring i think after a while especially because if you're going to talk to them for like an hour and a half or something about like uh how immigrants are like setting up sleeper cells or something like what's the goal there i don't know so yeah right um there's a kind of a second part of this question that i i think i should mention um he's or she is talking about whether or not they should directly engage with specific people who they disagree with by name or just kind of abstract their arguments and and talk about that without referencing those specific people. So maybe they aren't actually like hosting those people for a conversation, but they want to talk about some kind of issue. Um, And they're sort of averse to, for example, like using Jordan Peterson as like clickbait, which a lot of like left media kind of does. Yeah what's your take on that? It's like, should they be doing that? Like, should they be specifically naming the people who they're disagreeing with and debating? Yeah. Or uh, is it better just to talk about the arguments in the abstract? I would say, um, it's better to do it. Um, and yeah, you can name them. Um, and I think it's actually better to do it if they're not there. And I'm not going to say one way or another, if, um, you should or should not debate these people that is based on, uh, context. But one thing I have been thinking about a lot that I think underlines a fallacy in all of liberal and uh, when I say liberal, I mean like liberal in the sense that we're going to convince our enemies uh, thought is one thing I think that is a fallacy is that the idea that the best ideas are going to win out in a competition is the same logic that underlies the idea that the righteous man will win in trial by combat. Maybe he will, maybe he won't, but don't assume <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that because you have the better ideas, you're going sure. to win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially, especially when it comes, not even when it comes to like winning a debate, but when it comes to um, winning the consequences of exposing these ideas. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. Sure. I don't know, but just keep that in mind. Yeah. Isn't there sort of a similar logic going on with the idea of like deplatforming people, though? Like, if if the idea of someone being able just to convince people by the just exposing them to these ideas is if we're saying that that's not really how things work then what is the actual harm of like having people platformed you know like if we think that their ideas are heinous or something like does that is there an actual danger there like is that logic the same i agree with the platforming and i think that and the reason why i think if you want to take the absurd argument for the other side is that like Let's say that I deplatform you and I deplatform Don and I get a bunch of people to get you fi- uh, fired and kicked off Twitter and all that. 
does that make you more powerful or less? And the answer, as far as I can tell, is obviously it's going to make you less powerful. Less people are going to listen to your ideas, maybe not zero people, but that's that's why people do it. And the argument that, that people who are in danger of being deplatformed is like, ha if you do this, it'll just make me stronger. Like, maybe, but maybe that's the only thing you could possibly say to it. You're not going to be like, oh, no, please don't. That would ruin my life. Please, I'm begging you. Yeah. There's, yeah, that has been, that has yeah. been my position on this subject. Yeah. I mean, I, for me, it's also kind of like, there is a bit of a who care element too, right? Like, it's like, the, <laughs> if you're just starting out a podcast and you're just working on stuff or whatever it is, you know, content creation, uh, unless you're like, uh, I don't know, you're secretly the son of a billionaire or something, you know, like then and you've got like a instant right. giant platform or something like, uh, right. Yeah, then talk yeah. to your CIA handler about these kinds sure. of things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean like, uh, you know, overthinking it sometimes is, uh, can be the problem. So, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, for my part, I'm just more of the, like, whatever, like just have anyone on sort of a, an approach. We don't exactly do that here we only really have our friends and stuff on as guests just because well yeah well we have like a rapport with people and that's kind of like makes for a better conversation we're not really interested in like interviewing like random people uh just to like have debates about things or whatever Um, yeah but like if I don't know. It, I th- I would say you want to figure out what is your channel or your podcast, whatever it is. What are you trying to do with it? And then from there, you should be able to figure out who you'd be comfortable having on or not, or what you would be comfortable talking about and how you would be comfortable talking about that thing. Yeah. Um, so I, I would say that you need to figure out the fundamental idea first before you proceed onto like these kinds of questions. Sure. Uh, all right. What do you guys think about this anecdote? A foreign journalist asked Comrade Stalin, is it true you collect jokes about yourself? It is true, he said. Really? Do you have a lot of them? The journalist asked. I already have two labor camps packed full, Stalin answers. Uh, canceled? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's funny, uh, a lot of those jokes obviously are like stock jokes that like are trans, you know, like uh, transposed to the situation or whatever. I really right, like them. Yeah. It's funny because uh, in Cambodia, uh, like the Khmer Rouge and stuff, they had a lot of the same kind of jokes that they, they were taken from like France and stuff that they would like use to like insult the prisoners and stuff, which I thought was mm-hmm. like a, I read a book about it that like, uh, that it was just all their collections of their sayings. And you could kind of tell after a while that like, these are all from somewhere else. Kind of, They're all like cliches and truisms and all that kind of stuff from other places. And uh, I thought that was kind of funny because it's like the globalization of uh, witty, witty dictatorship slogans or something kind of thing, you know, like, uh, right. um, and uh, yeah, like, uh, like they have like this uh, and w- and they're really, really like when I was reading it, it was like haunting. It was just terrifying to read because it's like uh there would be stuff like, uh, if you want to live exactly as you please, we'll put aside a small plot of land for you. That seems like a good deal. If you're dealing with Khmer Rouge, I get my own grave? Nice. When you're going with that story about how it was like imported from the French, it's like, and then the Khmer Rouge prison guard said to me, Je suis un pédophile. <laughs> I'm just imagining them doing like Jerry Lewis style yeah, comedy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
All right, let's go on to the next one here. Uh, If you had to be a contestant on a reality show, which one would you choose? I get get do pretty well on Chopped. Chopped? Okay. Yeah. You uh, you a good cook? Yeah, I think I'm pretty good. I mean, I'm not like a professional cook, but if I like got on one of those specials where it's like guys from Boston who aren't racist, you could probably do pretty well. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. What kind of stuff do you like to cook? Like, do you have any special? I I like a lot of stuff. I do Mexican food, uh, Korean food. My wife likes that. I do uh, Italian. I like. I like. I I watch a lot of uh, cooking shows on YouTube. So I was like yeah. trying new stuff, and and I feel like cooking is the easiest way to do stuff. The easiest way it's ever been now, because you just kind of look up a recipe on your phone and just go with right. it, and it's generally going to be pretty decent. Yeah, that's what Tabs and I do. I I wonder if you watch uh, Mangchi, the Korean. Uh, uh, no, you know, never heard of that. Oh, really? Uh, I might be butchering the pronunciation, but I'll send it to you. Let's. Uh, we actually eat a fair amount of Korean food just because she puts out really easy recipes they're easy to follow they're really good you know we make kimchi mm. and stuff nice yeah kimchi's easy it's it's good and it's easy i think don should be on like fear factor where it's like make a sincere post <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I, reveal your true feelings <laughs> yeah i was thinking the biggest loser because then i would lo- lose weight um but I'm also like I'm just at the cusp where like it's I'd still probably be the thinnest one there kind of thing, so that like I could lose it quickly and still win. Then you know what I mean? So I don't know. Hmm. All right, that, well that's cheating because you're from, you're Canadian. You're not even fat according to American standards. That's bullshit. <laughs> okay. So for me, I don't know if this exactly counts, but I would want to be on something like Jackass. Uh, when I was a teenager, we used to do all sorts of stuff like that. Obviously, not to the same extent that those guys did, but something along those lines would be kind of fun. CKY, you know. Yeah. What well, do you have anything in mind that you do like uh, staple yourself or something? Or? Um, well, one thing we used to do, which would maybe be fun to like, kind of take it to a next level, so it would be TV worthy, is we would steal shopping carts and then take it to a skate park. And, Mm -hmm. uh, like one guy would sit in the shopping cart and then like two or three of them would grab the cart and like try to run them off the ramp. And so like it would just like crash (laughs) horrendously. Oh man. Um, So I don't know, building some kind of massive, like evil Knievel style ramp, put someone in a shopping cart and launch them off of it. That would be kind of fun. That would be pretty sweet, honestly. R.I.P. Tom. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Tom falling down the gorge like Homer Simpson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on here. Um, okay, if it's not too forward, gentlemen and distinguished guest, may we peek behind the kimono for a second? Break the back walls? This is getting a little... I mean, do it. I don't know. Uh, what is the editing process like for the episodes of YCW? Any software or techniques that process makes notable use of? All right, so I don't know how interesting this really is, but because we're being asked this, um, our editing process is we split it up. I edit the public episodes like this one, and Don edits the Patreon episodes. We use uh, Discord to record, so we've never recorded this in the same room. We've always done it remotely, and um, then we use Audacity to edit it. 
Um, I could get into more detail, but I'm going to leave it there because I don't think too many people care. Yeah. And we, we mostly leave it as it is, except for like uh, some of my very, very aggressive ums and ahs and some of the, uh, you know, like bathroom breaks and stuff. But otherwise, it's pretty, pretty straightforward and just what it is kind of thing. So, uh, yeah. Some, yeah. I'd so. say like 95% of what we of what we say and, and everything gets on there. Every once in a while we cut something like, but very, very rarely. And usually it's just because it's like redundant or didn't make a lot of sense or something like yeah. that. Yeah. All the slurs stay in. So, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, Okay, I'm not sure where this is going, but it looks interesting, uh, so I'll just go ahead and read it. Pitch for Troll Academy, The Last Stand. Tanya, the only way we can defeat Dirty Bag Puda 420 and Shadow Donald is if you go through this ancient Chinese trial of trolling, dialectics, and faith, started by a Taoist group in the 4th century BC that Deng Xiaoping made illegal 35 years ago. It will be dangerous, it will be addictive, and it might change the history of the world forever. Get fiscal. Never thought I would have to face Dengus, white nationalists, and ancient evil satanic sects IRL again, ever since I retired at least. Tanya, are you sure you're ready to face your greatest trolling challenge yet, Don? Get fiscal. I was born ready. Montage of action scenes, numb, Linking Park. Directed by Roman Polanski, executive producer, Harvey Weinstein, screenwriters, Roman Polanski, Brett Ratner, and Louis C.K. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I whenever I'm like uh just bored walking around doing stuff sometimes now I just listen to like 80s songs or like 60s you know like soul or something and uh just just naturally generate bad movie scenes in my mind or something <laughs> I'm cool. just like things that are like uh you know where it's just like you know music driven plot and stuff I don't know that's funny but yeah yeah that's pretty good um, all right, so Tom might disagree with this, but the fact is that praying while you have a severe nosebleed is cool and shows that you are serious. All right, I don't know. Did I say something about that? Um, maybe I did. I, you're not allowed to pray if you're bleeding. You have to, oh, that really? Would be, that would, yeah, bleeding breaks your wudu, so if you're like actively bleeding, you, you just can't maintain the wudu, so you just aren't able to pray. But okay, I, I feel like... The thing is, they did pray during, like, battle and stuff like that. And you got to figure some of those guys were bleeding. So, you know, for soft, like, city dwellers who ne don't actually have to fight and stuff like that, maybe we take those rules a little bit more more uh, literally than people who are in that kind of position. I'm imagining Tom with, like, an anime nosebleed when he sees a hot blonde walk by. And he's like, oh, shit, <laughs> I got to pray in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, my position is uh, you shouldn't pray at all. So there, I'm, I'm weighing in. All right. Yeah, that is uh, Fatwa from Goatstein. Sheikh Goatstein. Um, all right. We'll end on this one. How conspiracy-minded are you guys? I looked into Whitney Webb, for example, and while her interviews with Epstein's victims are good, Webb herself seems like a conspiracy theorist. Um, so just to comment on the Webb reference here... I think she has done really good work. Uh, we based our early Pizzagate is Real episodes about Epstein really like heavily used her writings for sources for that. Um, so she has done good work, but I would 
like with all of these kinds of people, you don't necessarily want to say like, oh, they did some good research on this. Therefore, all of their political like ideas and, and everything are spot on too. You you want to apply a little bit of kind of, you know, take what's good and and leave what isn't kind of a thing. I don't exactly know where Whitney Webb stands on any particular issue, but I do get the feeling that's like, I don't think I would agree with her on a lot of issues. Yeah. So um, one thing to keep in mind about conspiracy theories, and I am not a conspiracy theorist, I'm very skeptical about all these sorts of things. But one thing to keep in mind about conspiracy theories um, for anyone who's listening is that it's only it's whether or not something is a conspiracy theory has to do with whether or not it is uh, useful to power, maybe not entirely, but to a significant degree. So, for example, if you want to say that the uh, Chinese created the coronavirus in a lab in order to destroy the American economy. I mean, technically, that is a conspiracy theory, but you can go on TV and say that. But if you say that the American government created the, the uh, coronavirus in a lab in order to make sure Donald Trump became president again, I'm not saying I believe that. I'm just saying that that is a crazy conspiracy theory that you will never be able to express on television. So just keep that in mind, that these things are... Exists in social contexts, shall we say? Yeah. yeah, along those lines, it's also important to like under. Maybe we'll do an episode on this. Actually, it's important to understand that a lot of, specifically in the American or maybe North American context, the whole conspiracy theory, like subculture and cottage industry, has really deep ties to like far right organizations and stuff. So, anytime you start looking at, at stuff like this, you may come across really useful information people who are more actually on the left like douglas valentine or gary webb or something like that you may come across stuff like that that's like thoroughly researched solid you know like it's just telling you facts that you haven't heard about um but there's a really blurry line where it gets into like goofy ass stuff like you know we were talking about william dudley pelly on a previous episode a lot of that kind of a thing is is hanging around in those circles so I think if you want to delve into those kind of waters, you just need to be able to read something and understand its argument and then just kind of put it on hold and then do that with a lot of different theories. I think some people, they kind of have to read something and then judge immediately. Is this true or is this not true? And they can't really maintain like a bunch of different, you know, I'm not saying that makes you stupid. I'm just saying like some people are more interested in this stuff or more invested or whatever, and they're able to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I sort of agree with like the, I, I I sympathize at least with the Chomsky sort of view on this kind of stuff because he used to get asked about this kind of stuff constantly, and uh, his sort of thing was more, if you like look at the official record in the most prestigious uh, papers and documents and stuff that like liberals themselves accept as mostly true or whatever you know like credible accounts, um, the stuff that's in there is just like a bonanza or horrible stuff that goes down kind of thing, you know? So it's like, uh, if you're just looking for like to have an opinion on something, like is the government good or not kind of thing, you know, like you can just kind of read uh, like one department of state memo and go, Oh no, 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 they're not good. I'm not going to trust them or whatever. You know what I mean? Like you don't, it's not like, uh, so (laughs) I think that that's part of it. It's that, that is almost like a defense lawyer kind of way of thinking of things too, where it's like, okay, or prosecutor maybe thinking of like, you know, like I, I've got them on airtight evidence or something, you know, kind of thing, you know, like, uh, and, uh, it's funny because you you do have that tendency sometimes where people are like, uh, 
you know, reading about Bush, like, I don't know, emptying B-52s on people or something, and then uh, being like, oh, but did you know he set up 9-11 or something? You know, it's like, it's like, <laughs> yeah, but come on, like, we already know that the, like the these guys are insane criminals. We don't have to, like, go off into these other directions sometimes. That's, that's kind of my general thing. But I think that that's more just a tendency of thinking than it is, like, an actual argument, really. It's just kind of a way of framing things for yourself. So, yeah. Yeah. That's also very convenient for MIT apparatchik to kind of employ that <laughs> argument. So. Yeah. Okay. You know, I, I, I said we would finish with that one, but I just realized we actually have a comment here that references Goatstein. And it also kind of digs at one of our other guests. But uh, I, I don't know. We'll just read this one out. Maybe I'll cut it. Maybe I won't. It feels insane when you realize Goatstein is now basically good, but Tug Lesions is a fascist. Who would have thought, right? Anyway, good job having lesions on your podcast to tell us, even though climate activists are basically right, that in one or two narrow specific ways, some of them are wrong. Thanks. All right. So someone a little bit cranky at hearing uh, Thug Lessons' uh, opinions about environmental activism or whatever, but they thought that Goatstein was basically good. So that's nice. That's nice. Yes. Uh don't watch anime. That's what it does to your brain, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you two are always going back and forth on Twitter. It's kind of entertaining. I try not to, but occasionally, yes, he he says something in, incredibly stupid, so I have to go at him. So you know, I t- we, we, I tend I to agree to. with a lot of what he says, to be honest, on Twitter. And eh, whatever, this is anime again. <laughs> I don't watch sure. anime, but I, I guess you're maybe of the opinion that Islam is a form of anime or something. I mean, how is it not? Give me five good reasons. Well, no figure. That's right, part. dead air, dead air. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. All right, we'll, we'll we'll leave it there. With uh, maybe maybe in the future we'll do a uh, a, a goat versus thug. Like I don't know. I haven't listened to that episode. How, how gay is his voice on a scale of 7 to 10? 7 to 10? Uh, <laughs> he sounds like a normal person, you know. He sounds less like a cartoon than you do, but uh, so maybe more. Like if you're, if you are a, I don't know, is 7 not, not gay and 10 is gay? I don't know. Look inside yourself. Okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> I'll put you at an 8 and him at a 9. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on again, Goat. That was uh, fun to uh, chat. So Absolutely. I look forward to uh, your continued success, gentlemen. Thank, Thank you. you, sir. All right, guys. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like a second episode every week, you can subscribe to our Patreon and you'll get that, as well as access to our Discord, where you can chat with us in our community. Uh, if you'd like to submit questions for us to respond to at the end of the episodes you can do that by going to the curious cat which is pinned to the podcast twitter account thanks for listening and we'll catch you next week